It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Inside the Eagles with Jimmy Kemsky and Tommy Lawler right here on LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome to Eagles Pudding. This is Jimmy Kemsky from PhillyVoice.com. With me as always is Tommy Lawler from Eagles Blitz. How are you, Tommy? Wait a minute. What was the name of that show? (laughs) Eagles Pudding. What happened to Inside the Eagles or Eagles Insider or Helmet to Helmet? Or? We were originally called, uh, what was it, Eagles Insiders? And then. Uh, Eagles Insider, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Eagles Insider or Eagles Insider's blog. And we realized, oops, the actual Philadelphia Eagles have a podcast that's called Exactly That. So then we would change to Inside the Eagles. And um, I don't know, that's basically kind of the same thing, but. <laughs> but just the word switched around, and uh, well, the, the thing—the thing is, we didn't know. We didn't want people to say, "Is this about football or is this like a proctologist show?" Right. So, you know, inside, <laughs> <laughs> so now we're so throwing we're, it out there. We're kicking names around. So, if anyone actually has any ideas for uh, a, a show name, fire away at us. Uh, I'm, I'm Tommy, and I are both on Twitter. Tommy's at. Uh, Lawler NFL. That's L A W L O R NFL, and I am at Jimmy Kemsky. Uh, my preference is for Eagles pudding. I don't know if I mean I don't mean to like try to sway the vote here, but that's what I would go with. I, you know, I don't have a preference yet. I'm going to have to think of something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, Eagles pudding. That's original, man. That's, that's no nobody else has got that one. If they do, we got a story to tell. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so the Eagles season's over. Uh, for all intents and purposes, they have one game. They have one game left. Uh, that will be a meaningless game, Week 17 against the Giants. We do not intend to talk about that game at all during this the hell, podcast because the, the hell you say. I've got 30 minutes of, of previews. <laughs> How are they going to stop Ob- Odell Beckham Jr. in this one? <laughs> uh, I can't give away the secret now. Wait till the end of the show. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to ignore that, and we're also going to hold off, kind of talking about you know, looking at the team going forward. But, you know, just since the, the end of the season is kind of fresh, let's just uh, keep that wound open a little bit longer and talk about, you know, where did it all go wrong this season? And for me, I mean, not for me, I mean, just the most obvious thing that went wrong this season was just the absurd number of turnovers that they had. And they led the league, or they rather, they lead the league currently with 35 total turnovers. But not only that, they, at least heading into... Uh, the Sunday games, they were leading the league in interceptions thrown and 
fumbles lost. So it was sort of the trifecta of <laughs> of turnover awfulness in that they led in the, the two categories, and then obviously overall as a result. I think they're actually tied with somebody now for fumbles lost, so uh, they, they don't have sole possession of the lead in, in that awful statistic. But I mean, it's such a weird thing because this year they had 35 turnovers. Last year it was a major strength in that they really held on to the ball well. They only had 19 on the entire season. And it's just a really drastic difference, and it's those kind of just disastrous kind of plays that that really torpedoed their season and and were a major reason why they lost a number of their games. Absolutely. Just look to Saturday. I mean, as miserable as it is to think about it, uh, the interception there, you know, in the last minutes, if that ball is completed, you know, the Eagles are going to have the football, I don't know, (laughs) around the 40-yard line. And I don't remember if it would have been a first down, Chip would have decided to go for it or whatever. But, uh, you know, instead you give the Redskins the ball near midfield. Two plays later, they're at the 10-yard line and kicking yep. a winning field goal. You know, if you had – worst case scenario, that ball is incomplete. You punt the ball, you're backing them up to their 10 or 15-yard line. And maybe at that point, Jay Gruden's going to get conservative, not wanting to lose it, and is going to play for overtime. Who knows how that shakes out? You know, the week before – Think about the impact of the the kickoff that wasn't fielded to start the game. That gave Dallas great momentum right out of the gate. Think about the the fumble by Brent Selleck uh, when a game was a one-possession game. Dallas recovered, kicked the field goal. All of a sudden, that becomes an 11-point game, and you just feel like, wow, you know, can we even get back into that down 11 points with six, six seven minutes to go, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly. Uh, you think back over the, the course of the season, uh, you know, the the Eagles lost 26-21 to to San Francisco back, I think it was October. Coming out of halftime, the Eagles had the lead. Nick Foles hits Zach Ertz along the sideline. Ertz fumbles. Frisco recovers. Next thing you know, that turns into a touchdown. And San Francisco, I think, took the lead at that point, if not tied it up at that point. But that was a huge – It was you know, these are game-changing plays. It doesn't always have to be that way. But not only did the Eagles have these turnovers this year, they became disastrous because they led to – uh, changing game-changing uh, moments, and so really, really costly this year. Yeah, and I had actually done a chart before this week's game of um, the eight teams in the league with a turnover differential of minus eight or worse. And the Eagles, of course, uh, heading into last week, were, were nine and five. But if you look at the other seven teams on that list, you're looking at the Bears, Jaguars, Titans, Redskins, Buccaneers. Jets and Raiders. And if you take the combined record of those seven other teams, it's 20 and 80. <laughs> so they oh. have a, a 200 winning percentage. Um, if, if, you know, for all the teams other than the Eagles heading into last week with a turnover differ, differential of minus eight. And, you know, I'm not, you know, nobody's saying anything all that new here where if you turn the ball over more than you get turnovers, you're going to lose, you know, more games than you win. Um, so, I mean, we're not saying anything original here, but I just it, it's, it really just is kind of crazy how you can go from 19 turnovers one season, have the same exact coaching regime, basically the same players, and then have it go from, well, except for the quarterback position, of course, midway through the year. But, um, yeah, you go from 19 to 35 in a matter of one year. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it really does feel like an epidemic because it, it's not just the wide receivers or the running backs or the – you know, not like you saying it's all over the entire team. You know, think about in the uh, third quarter of the Seattle game. That game, I guess Seattle had lead ten to seven at halftime in that game, and the third quarter starts. 
and you think if we can go get a field goal and tie it up, or God forbid we can go score a touchdown, take the lead on Seattle, how are they going to react to that? Instead, Shady fumbles at the 15-yard line. Yeah. Se- Seattle scores a touchdown. Next thing you know, it was, uh, I guess, 17-7, to and you're thinking, how are we going to beat Seattle down 10? You know, yep. you, you can beat Seattle, but you're not going to come back on them. And uh, just huge plays that just had great impact. And, again, you can – there's just so many players involved that you can't say that it's one position coach, that it's one habit, that it's one thing. And that's what makes you think as a, as a – it almost feels like you're cursed. And I know Chip Kelly's a logical guy, and he's going to come at this from a logical standpoint, but how is it that everybody got sloppy in the same year? I, I, I don't know what the rational explanation for that is. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of what happened in 2012, although, you know, obviously that team went um, – you know, four and twelve, but but that team had thirty-seven turnovers, and the Eagles are actually on pace to beat that. And that that team was just a disaster through and through. And and like every week, you almost expected something you know awful to happen. And it didn't really feel have that same kind of feel this year, where you kind of expected something just terrible to happen at any time because they're for the better part of the season winning games. But it, it, from the turnover perspective, like I said. They're on pace to have more than they than they did in that horrific season, which again they, they led the league in turnovers that year as well. Um, I think the the season really could have been a lot worse uh, if 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 not for really the the play of of the special teams and and some turnovers that they were able to create on defense. Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. It's a uh, it's it's been a strange season, and yeah, the, the turnovers. There's there's uh, nobody disputes why that, that they were a, a problem. The interesting thing is trying to figure out why that happened and how do you solve it going forward because we heard Nick Foles every week get up and say they've got to stop, they've got to stop, and they never stopped with him. Then Mark Sanchez, uh, Mark Sanchez took over, and he would tell us they've got to stop, they've got to stop, they've never stopped with him. So it's not that these guys are dumb. We know Chip Kelly's put together a high-character, smart football team, and yet the turnovers keep happening. That's why I say it, it feels like it's almost something beyond your control. You know, and again, I Kelly would hate for me to say that. He would say it is your control, but it's just the fact that they're all doing it. That's what's so strange. It is, and and I guess just moving along to to, to the next uh, to the next thing, and, and this is kind of along the same theme of you know just kind of drastic game changing uh, events. That's the big plays that the defense gave up this year, and you know, obviously the big the biggest part of it is the back end, the secondary. Uh, which is obvious. I mean, you can typically it's it's kind of chicken or the egg when you're giving up when you're giving up big pass plays uh, during the course of a season. Is it because your pass rush isn't getting home and the quarterback just has a ton of time and they're and they're getting big chunk plays as a result, or is the secondary just playing bad? And I think this year clearly the secondary was just playing bad because I think for the better part of the season the pass rush was really one of the pleasant surprises of the season, but the defense gave up or has given up so far 66 pass plays of 20 plus yards, which leads the NFL. And, you know, Billy Davis actually had a uh, press conference today where he's talking about how they are, how they're top five in sacks, how they're right around top five in, in uh, opponent completion percentage, how they're actually in the top 10. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think this, but they're actually in the top 10 in, in third down conversion percentage, but man, the, those big plays that they give up, um, you know, 66 pass plays of 20 plus yards is just awful. <laughs> I mean, it's just really awful. And Carrie Williams and especially Bradley Fletcher, 
you know, did not have good seasons. Obviously, Bradley Fletcher toward the end of the season just completely fell apart. And Malcolm Jenkins played well, but the other safety spot remains really a, a big-time trouble issue. I mean, what is it the, that you've seen from the secondary, Tommy, that like uh, kind of is is at fault for, for just the drastic number of big plays that they've given up? Oh, it's it, literally it's everybody in the secondary with the exception of Malcolm Jenkins. And, and I would say he played reasonably well. I don't think he had like a Yo, No, he was no superstar. I mean, he, he had a lot of plays right. early in the season where, I mean, he was getting interceptions. He had pick six. So I think that. I think that really kind of clouded the opinion of him because he got off to such a great start and everyone was so happy with him, especially with the Eagles right. not having good safety play in such a long time. But yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think he was, um, I don't think well, he was terrific for, for the entirety of the season, but he was certainly the best player in their secondary and, 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 and absolutely like a legitimate starter in the league. Oh, and he's, he's a good safety. He's a good yes. player. Yes. I just, I don't want to overstate it. Um, right. I, right. I be, uh, first of all, Brandon Boykin took a huge step backward in my mind. And he's a guy, he still made a handful of plays. I didn't need him to come up with six interceptions. That was fluky. You're not going to do that. But just in terms of coverage, we watched a lot of guys eat him up in coverage. We saw him make coverage mistakes. I mean, there was one the other day where he he left Des Bryant open by 10 yards because he misread a play against Dallas. Yeah, he just he was making mistakes that you would have expected him to make last year learning the system, not this year when he's in year two. Uh, obviously, Kerry Williams is an up and down player. He drives me nuts because he, he's a he's he's kind of a fake tough guy. He doesn't want to tackle you real aggressively during the play, but after the play, he will jump in your face and let you know what's going on. Incredibly stupid play against the Redskins last week, where it didn't it wound up not hurting them as as badly as it could. Where the, the right. Redskins were setting up for, I mean, the, the Eagles had to stop. They they stop on third down, then he gets the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, and and the Redskins get new life. And they eventually wind up kicking a field goal anyway on that drive. But just that is a mistake that you just absolutely cannot make. It's just totally dumb, totally ridiculous, totally like just. There's there's absolutely no reason for it on, in the course of a football game. You're not even getting anything out of it. Like it's not right. like it was a big hit at the end of the play. It was just another player talking shit to him, and he pushed him. And the thing is, I could see if Kerry was the type of corner that manhandled guys and physically overwhelmed them, and he was trying to set the tone and let some star receiver know, "I'm going to dominate you today." I could see if I mean I wouldn't necessarily still like it because to me it's just knucklehead and dumb. But he's not that guy. And it just to me, it was just a punk move, and I just, I've really, I know Bradley Fletcher is the guy that America hates the most right now, but to me, I carry Williams when it drives me insane. He back because next year? I hope not. I hope not. He's got he's got a big number, and uh, he's got a he big does. cap number. He does, and I, there's no way they can pay him that cap number. They have to, in my mind, they have to look elsewhere, or if they can get him to renegotiate. You know, to me, he he would be okay as your number two corner, but him as your star corner, you got issues. He doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to redo a contract. No. Well, <laughs> have you have you looked at the price of sconces recently? Uh, Bradley the, Fletcher. The sconce market is booming. Yes, absolutely, it is. Bradley. Fletcher, I got his number here, by the way. It's 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 his. his, his I'm sorry, he's going to count for eight point one seven against the cap next year. Uh, one point six and one point six six if they uh, in dead money if they cut him, so they'll actually save. Six point five million if they cut him, and for my money, that is an absolute no-brainer. Right, absolutely, yeah. I, again, if you want to renegotiate, personally, I'd like him to be gone entirely. But I understand corners are not easy to find. If they want to renegotiate, they think, all right. But to, to me, 
the one thing you cannot do is you cannot bring back him and Bradley Fletcher. There's no way you can bring those guys back as a tandem. Uh, Bradley, there's no question he gets beat, but Bradley, at least in my mind, is an overachiever, or at least is what he's supposed to be. He doesn't have great speed. He doesn't have great skills. He doesn't have great instincts. When he's getting burned, you're still getting your best out of him. He's just got limits. Don't you have to have some level of achievement, though, to be an overachiever? Well, hey, listen, joke joke what you want, but there are some metrics that will show you. He gets a lot of passes thrown at him, but yeah, yeah, the PBUs. Well, no, he does have a lot of those, but he also, oh, it's a burn percentage or something like that. He's in the top 10 of the league because so many passes come his way, a certain amount end up incomplete. And so it doesn't make it, it's like, in other words, if there's that many passes coming your way, you'd think that they would be, there'd be a high percentage of them completed, but they actually, it's a, it's a relatively low percentage overall compared to some other corners. Like David Amerson, I think for the Redskins is, is maybe highest in the league in burn percentage. Okay. He, Eagle and Kerry was amongst the lowest. Or Bradley was, excuse me, Bradley, which which shocked me. But again, I think it's because so many throws go his way that he's. Yeah, going I, to, I, I have trouble buying that. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you <laughs> what the numbers. And, and, and again, it's if, if that many throws go that way, some of them are just going to be off target. Some of them he's going to break up. Some of them he's going to get away with holding. Uh, I, I, again, I'm not trying to say the guy's a good player. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I just. I don't mind a guy if a guy's not a great player and he doesn't play great. Well, you know, you know what he was. You know, you, you know. So, I don't want to hate him the way that some people do. The, the guy's got his limitations, but I at least know he'll play the run. He'll try to tackle. He's going to make his mistakes. But you at least, to me, he's a more likable guy than Kerry Williams. I don't think you see Bradley doing dumb things. I see him getting beaten because other guys are better, faster, what have you. And uh, <laughs> and, and the other thing is, if you go back in history. And you watch like Bobby Taylor and, and Troy Vincent. Troy Vincent was the better corner. So what happened against top guys? Bobby Taylor would would be very aggressive, and he would have Brian Dawkins over the top. You don't see safety to, safety help over the top to Bradley nearly enough. I don't understand it. You know the guy's got his limitations. So if you're going to have him play press man or play, have him play man coverage, rather give have the safety cheat. I think a lot of this goes on. The poor play of the safety, specifically Nate Allen. That's 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 a fair point too. I mean, they already know what Bradley Fletcher is at this point, and for them not to give him an, you know, a, not, well, not to not not to give him an, a lot of help is is just completely foolish. And the thing is, and this is where there's a breakdown, and, and everybody and, wants and you, to. Re- you, well, talk about talk about the. I think, but I don't remember if we talked about this on the show last week or if, if you and I just talked about this off the air. But the Nate Allen play against Dallas, when <laughs> there's just no awareness where he's got Des Bryant on the one side of the field and and uh, whoever else on the other side, he, he knows where the ball's going. I mean, right. or, or he should know where the ball's going. It's going to go to Des Bryant if he's got one on one on Bradley Fletcher, and it's just completely late getting over there because he had no anticipation that that was probably where the ball was going to go. Nate Allen, I'm sure, is a, is a well-educated, smart man. Uh, heck, he might, he's probably smarter than me and you. That's not saying a lot. Uh, he's well-spoken. He's a good guy, all that stuff. But in terms of football knowledge and football instincts, Ugh. he literally uh, might be right there with uh, you know a, a freaking empty shoe. Uh <laughs> <laughs> there was a play in the Dallas game when Tony Romo is under center, looks up, he sees Nate Allen in the middle of the field, he looks over and he sees Fletcher against Des Bryant, backs up from under center, does this little thing with his fingers, like he sort of he, he sort of waves his hand 
with a little gesture, like a thumb gesture to uh, Des Bryant, throws the ball to Bryant for a touchdown. How Nate Allen can't know that means the ball's going there. <laughs> I don't know. Now, see, now, Nate, give him credit. After seeing that happen twice in the Dallas game for touchdowns, after <laughs> after seeing Deshaun Jackson burn Nate twi- or, uh, Bradley twice in the Washington game, Nate finally rotated over and got an interception in the Washington game in the second half. But it shouldn't have taken five huge plays. That, he should have. Like- that's like when I have my sock and I pretend throw it and my dog goes like and it takes a couple steps to where I fake throw it and then he right. looks at me and I fake throw it again and he falls for it again and the third time. Hell no, I'm not falling for that the third time. So <laughs> it's, it, and, and this is where I know a lot of fans are mad at, at Bill Davis. They're saying, how can he not tell him this? Well, here's what we don't know. He may have told Nate, listen, you got to look over there. And the quarterback knows that the safety's looking there. So what does a quarterback do? Any quarterback worth of salt is going to take the ball. He's going to look over at Terrence Williams or Cole Beasley or Jason Witten initially to get the safety to cheat that way. Then he's going to know on the backside he's got Des Bryant. He knows that. So he's looking to get the safety to read his eyes. Well, if you're a safety that has a freaking clue, you got to know he's looking you off. And I don't know how Nate Allen in year five in the NFL, doesn't know he's being looked off. Holy shnikes, man. How can you not know that the man who's the, the best player on that field is Des Bryant? Right. And you're freaking doubling up on old man Witten and Terrence Williams and freaking Cole <laughs> Beasley, who's a movie character from Burt Reynolds movies. He's basically I mean, like, a, he's like, a, he's like a glorified Chad Hall. Oh, God, it's exasperating. I don't, I mean... I don't understand how Nate can't figure this out. There, there was a great moment in a Simpsons episode 20 years ago when Bart was trying to explain something to Homer, and Homer said, I don't get it. So Bart started drawing pictures, and he didn't get it. He acted it out with puppets. He didn't get it. He's doing all these things, and finally Homer goes, oh, I get it. That's Nate Allen. You know, Bill Davis is using puppets and pictures and diagrams. And, <laughs> what was know. Bart? I, I can picture that. Do you remember what he was trying to explain? It was the episode where Sideshow Bob was going to marry Selma. Oh, oh right. And, and he was trying to explain how, like, when Selma lit up her cigarette. Exactly. The, the, the gas the, would ignite the gas. and, and, it, and it, the apartment would blow up. Exactly. And it was a freaking hysterical <laughs> scene. That's Bill Davis and Nate Allen. That's Bill Davis going, <laughs> Nate, you know, Bradley kind of needs a little help, my man. He kind of needs a little help against Deshaun and Dez. I know that you want to help on... Uh, Jordan Reed or Aldrick Robinson or Terrence, what, what other you know do other Jag is on the other <laughs> side, but you might want to you know look over to your left and see that guy that needs some help. Their star against our liability. You maybe want to lean that direction. I for the life of me, I don't know how Nate doesn't get that. I really don't. And again, it's not because he's stupid. Clearly, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but he's 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 foot he's football stupid, and, and and that's that's just to me that's the number one priority this offseason. Get me some freaking defensive backs that have instincts. Right. Give me a, I don't care if the guy has is missing an arm. I don't care if he's five foot eight. I don't care if he's six seven, white oh, black. I don't, just get me a guy who's got a freaking instinct. I can't take more of this. I can't. It's gonna eat my soul up. <laughs> All right, so we're on agreement. You, me, and every Eagles fan everywhere. The the secondary stinks. <laughs> I 
it's not good. And, and, and the discouraging thing and, and, is... And Nate Allen is Homer Simpson. And Jalen Watkins can't beat this shit out? Oh, God. <laughs> Ed Reynolds can't even make the team. Oh, God, it's just... Oh, it's frustrating, man. It's frustrating. All right. So moving along. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. So moving along. Uh, reason number three, the season fell apart. Uh, QB play. And I think that's maybe not so much self-explanatory, but, uh, you know, Nick Foles came into the season with, you know, everyone knows the numbers, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. And, you know, while I think the fan base was sort of realistic in that it was like, okay, well, let's see some more. <laughs> Certainly his play was disappointing this season. I mean, I think he fell short of, of what people expected him uh, to do. And then when he got hurt, it was kind of like, eh, yeah, whatever. Let's see what Mark Sanchez has to do. It's almost kind of viewed like, eh, you know, no big loss. We'll, we'll see what happens. And part of that reason was because, you know, Mark Sanchez had a really good training camp. And then carried that over into the preseason where he played really well in the preseason games. And when he came in, it was like, all right, well, let's, let's see what this guy can do. And it's some good games. It's some bad ones. I think what, I think the thing with Mark Sanchez this year was if he had everything else working in his favor, then, <laughs> then he could be good. But I think you can pretty much say that about anyone. Like right. if the defense was playing well and he had the run game going, then he could just play conservatively and, you know, just hit open receivers and, you know, ride the run game and the Eagles put up a lot of points and win. Like, you look at the Eagles-Dallas well, game on, on Thanksgiving, and that's right. kind of exactly what happened. The defense balled, the running game was on fire, and he just sat back and hit open receivers because it was easy. And then you look at games against Green Bay or, like, Seattle or the second Dallas game where the run game wasn't going, the defense wasn't playing so well. Seattle, maybe the defense played okay in, in that game. Um, but, you know, certainly in those three games, it was, you know, more of a challenge where he had to step up and, and make plays. And that is just a guy, in my opinion, that is not going to be able to do that on any kind of consistent basis if that's what you have to ask him to do. Um, I mean, I know you have a lot of thoughts about him as just um, – uh, his ability to, to to throw down the field is he basically just a guy that can only hit the underneath stuff? Well, um, I mean, what, what did you see? What did you? See, I mean, what did you see from him? I guess just in general first, and then his ability to hit hit passes down the field. Well, first, a, a, a funny story for you. I can remember years ago. You know, Donovan McNabb was the lightning rod uh, topic for Eagles fans for so long. <laughs> you, either, you either loved him or you hated him. I was always trying to be logical about the guy, and, and I mean, obviously, he was a terrific player and did a lot of good things, but the fan, he was just very crazy. But there was an argument with somebody one time, and I think this was somebody oh, somewhere on a blog or possibly the Eagles message board, and, and they would say, well, listen, if you gave Donovan a running game and a better offensive line and a big receiver and a better <laughs> defense, he'd right. win the Super Bowl. And I'm like, if you gave all that stuff, you don't need Donovan McNabb. All right, Trent Dilfer can you know? get you that. Yeah, that, that's when you can go win with a second or third round pick. You know, so it is funny, but but you're right. When when things went well, Sanchez played well, and they sort of tied into each other. And when all of a sudden he got faced with uh, a, a situation like Green Bay, where he needed to be, he needed to put a lot of points on the board, 
Or when he faced Seattle, where he had an elite defense that he had to deal with, and he had to be at his best just to maximize every opportunity, knowing there weren't going to be a lot. He couldn't handle those extremes. He couldn't. You couldn't count on him for 35 points against a top team. You couldn't count on him for 24 points against a tough defense. And so the in-between games, you know, he's going to end up – right now he's 3-4 and four as a starter. If you want to say 4-4 four and four since he played three quarters of the Houston game, that's I think that's kind of fair, actually. So if you say he's 4-4, four and four, you know, the loss to Green Bay, the loss to Seattle – He's four and two. He's you know he's got the uh, he's got he, for the most part he's played well enough for the team to win. But he he's, has he's, made he's a, he's a competent backup, right? Well, yeah, I mean it, it, he's so hard to explain because he's I think there's a lot of baggage with him. First of all, you know in in the preseason he goes twenty five for thirty one and he makes some terrific throws. Yeah, that offense is going up and down the field on everybody. They went up and down the field on the Steelers starters. Yeah, you're watching the Eagles' backups just march down the field on the Steelers' defense, and you're like, "Wow, that's impressive." The guy goes 25 for 31, and you start thinking to yourself, "This guy was a top 10 pick. I think he was a sixth overall. He's won playoff games." You're like, "This maybe we did catch lightning in a bottle. Maybe Chip Kelly did fix this guy because he handed him a good offensive line or good enough. He handed him Shady McCoy. He handed him Jeremy Macklin and." and Jordan Matthews and Riley Cooper. And, you know, that was a better set of receivers than he saw in New York the last several years. And so you, you sat there and thought, maybe this group can bring out the best in Mark Sanchez. And then he, he played pretty well. I mean, his first pass was, what, a 52-yard bomb to Jeremy Macklin in a Houston game. Uh, you know, he, he just he did some really good things that made you think, all right, this is good. And, you know, then again, against Green Bay and Seattle, things were not so good. You thought, well, all right, we're fine. We're starting to see definitely who he is. But then the last two weeks, it has been highly frustrating, and I think we're we're definitely seeing that Sanchez. Here's the he's not an explosive gunslinger type that's going to throw the ball over the field and make plays, but he also struggles to be the efficient quarterback that doesn't make the mistakes because he just his accuracy and decision making. He just has those moments when he's not good, and that's what leads to the interception like he had the other day. And that just kills you. You know, if he's not making the big plays, then he can't make mistakes. In other words, you know, like Alex Smith doesn't make a lot of big plays, but he avoids mistakes. Right. Well, here we're not getting that. So we basically we've got a lesser version of Alex Smith. And that's <laughs> I don't think yeah, I have and, to tell and, you and that's Alex not Smith, a good thing. And Alex Smith can do something, can, can do stuff with his feet, too. Where I mean, Mark Sanchez has, has some athleticism, but, you know, he's not Alex Smith in that regard. And right. you, you and I, we, you and I talked offline you talk about his decision making or I don't know if this really falls under decision making or just, um, you know, awareness or whatever you want to call it. But in that Seattle game where <laughs> where he throws the ball down the seam, I forget who he threw to, but he had was it was it Ertz down the left side there? He was either throwing or was it, or was it Riley, or was it Riley Cooper? Oh, you know, I bet it was Riley Cooper. Oh, that's where it was Riley because it was the pass that was picked off. Yeah. And because Cooper was open and he threw a poor throw that was picked off. Yeah, and and they had essentially run a little bit of a wheel route where the two receivers had crossed, <laughs> right? And and Jordan Matthews didn't Jordan have Matthews anybody with wide open, like no, no one even close to him, and he's looking, nobody, he's already looking in that direction. And, <laughs> and, and so yeah, no, his field vision is what you would call that. Okay. He has terrible, his terrible field vision. He has uh, poor accuracy uh, on intermediate and downfield throws. We've seen he's really struggled to throw the ball to Riley Cooper this year on a regular basis down the field. 
he does the Eagles. One of the, the staples of their offense is the corner route. He's awful at the corner route. Uh, he had a he had a he's had multiple passes to Ertz and Selleck on the corner route that he the ball they're wide open and the ball just is three yards in front of him, two yards that's behind a, him. And that's actually a throw that Foles throws well, typically, is that corner it, route. It, it's a throw that's been in the Eagles offense since Andy Reid got here. And, yeah. and McNabb was terrific at it. Foles is terrific at it. And it is it it is a throw that I don't know if Sanchez has completed one. He, he may have. I can't think of one. And I can think of a lot of incompletions on it. And it's just – that's a basic play. We're not talking about some trick play. We're talking about a simple corner route that generally the Eagles love to use their tight ends on because the tight end gets on a safety or a linebacker, and he's able to use his size to box him out. A lot of times, if he's on a safety or linebacker that's not good in coverage, as he makes that break to the corner, he just gets a little bit of separation. And so you've got the player running to the sideline. All you got to do is put it between the player and the sideline and let him catch it. And he's he's putting the ball at their feet or way out in front of them or short, and it just drives you nuts. Uh, you know, he's just... It, He's good. He's he's good enough to keep you in some games, but I just uh, yeah, he definitely is a backup quarterback at this point. And I, you know, I got to tell you, for for a few weeks there, I would say, you know what, he's he's shown he's just a backup, but I'd still be glad to have him back because compared to what some other teams are throwing out there, I feel like he's a pretty good backup. The more he plays, the more I'm starting to get even weird on that statement. I don't know if I want him back. Period. At this point, I I don't know. I got to really think about that. What what about you? Would you would you want Sanchez back as a backup? Uh, I'd, I mean, I'd rather have a better option than him, but if there's, you know, nothing else there or they draft somebody and that draft pick just isn't far enough along, then I mean, I could live with him. I mean, there there is one point during the season where, you know, he was playing well and people were saying, oh, well, he's, he's, this, this is resume, this is resume building for a starting job next year. He is not starting in the NFL next year. There's just, there's just no way, there's no way that's happening unless, unless he's, he winds up on a team where, (laughs) where the starter gets injured. I will say this, however, in your little scouting breakdown of, of him, I feel like, um, any quarterback that had to play with Riley Cooper enough, I think that under the scouting report, it it would say for pretty much anyone struggles when throw, when throwing to Riley Cooper. (laughs) It's not been Riley Cooper's best year. <laughs> to, to be fair to Mark Sanchez. Yeah, it's not been but, Riley's best year. Nobody would dispute that. <laughs> but well, anyway, Chip, I, but, Chip Kelly would. But 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 well, he's he's a terrific blocker, as as we've heard over and over. Uh, <laughs> but Mark Sanchez, you know, for uh, you know, for sure, he's he's not he's he's not going to be a starter next year. And and I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. He's he's you know he is what he is. I mean, he he basically is not the player that I think people were hoping he would be when we got some, some small glimpses of him in, in training camp and, and the preseason. And, um, you know, he won't, he won't be obviously the starter here. I, I wouldn't think anyway, next year. Um, and no, no. yeah. And, and as a backup, uh, yeah. Uh, I, pr- I prefer, I prefer to see somebody else in, <laughs> in there instead, but I could, I could probably live with them if there, if there were no legitimate, obvious answers otherwise. Yeah, here's an interesting stat Ruben Frank posted the other day on Twitter. Uh, there have been like 40-something different quarterbacks who have completed, and I could be off on that figure. It might be less, might be more, but it's a pretty big amount, who have completed a touchdown pass of 40 yards or more since Sanchez did it last. And he did it in 2010. Yeah. And since then, he was making the point that even like wide receivers like Mohamed Sanu and uh, oh, somebody, somebody, a uh, wide receiver named Banks. Uh, these wide receivers have hit 
touchdowns of 40 yards or more. Brandon Banks? And Redskins? It was Brandon Banks. Thank you. Brandon Banks. <laughs> I was going to say Brian. I knew that didn't sound right. And, Brian Banks is the guy that went to jail. Right. Fal- falsely. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Um, so, you know, that that's another thing is, you know, while he did show a good enough arm in that 52-yard pass or whatever it was to Macklin, the, the first play he had the season in a game, you know, that was a terrific throw and and he and Macklin hooked up, and it could have been a touchdown if if Macklin made a little bit better move. But um, uh, he just has not thrown the ball downfield. I think part of it, by choice, he just doesn't look comfortable throwing a ball downfield. He'll do it every now and then, but it just it looks more like he's hoping than he's throwing with confidence and an expectation that this is going to be completed. And you'll see him a lot of times drop back. We all know the minute that you see him walk up under center, and it's anywhere between, like, say, the 30-yard line and the other 30-yard line, there's a real good chance the Eagles are trying to throw the ball deep. Because he walks up under center, he drops back, he fakes a handoff to Shady, James Casey does a windback block to the weak side, and Mark Sanchez plants his feet, the Eagles have two receivers downfield, and he looks for them. And sometimes they're open, sometimes they're not. You know he's thrown that ink, he's thrown to the underneath guy plenty of times. He's thrown uh, he, he's run the ball. He's thrown incompletions, but he just doesn't look comfortable throwing that football. And uh, so yeah, and the lack of deep plays this year has, has been a real issue for the Eagles. And a lot of that's because Sanchez chooses not to throw them, and also when he does throw them, hasn't done a very good job of it. And that's the, that's actually one of the other things on the uh, what things that went wrong list here. And it wasn't an excellent list, but it seems like the natural place to segue into it. And it's it's the explosive plays that, that they that they got on offense. I mean, <clears throat> through you know with one game to play, they have sixty eight total plays of twenty plus yards, which actually is a good number. It's it's you know among the league leaders. But when you compare it to what they did last year when they broke a record, they had 99 plays of 20-plus yards, which was the highest total since the NFL started tracking that stat, which was sometime in the 1990s. I think it was 1991 they started tracking that stat. And the team that previously held the record was the you know the 2000, either 1999 or the 2000 Rams, either the greatest show on turf. And right. when you think about some of the other offenses that have – that have played since 1991, I mean, it's kind of staggering. Like, you talk about those Bills teams that went to the Super Bowl every year and lost. You look at the Houston Oilers, or I guess they were late 80s, but you look at the, um, you know, the greatest show on turf. You look at some of the Packers offenses under Aaron Rodgers. You look at some of those, you know, the, the, the Broncos offense of the last few years. You look at the Indianapolis Colts offenses under Peyton Manning. You, you look at, uh, you know, the, the Patriots off the best offenses with Randy Moss and, and Tom Brady. And for the Eagles to set that record of 99 plays of 20 plus yards, that's thoroughly impressive. And they're 31 plays off the pace that they were at last year. And I mean, I think that you think um, and I, I tend to agree that a, a lot of it has to do with the quarterback play. But I mean, one thing that really can't be ignored as well is, you know, they had arguably the best big play player in the entire NFL last year, Deshaun Jackson. And this year, obviously, they did not after they decided to cut him during the offseason. How much do you think they missed him? I mean, no, not, we're not like, let's, let's set aside anything that may have, you know, happened off the field or just his attitude or, you know, was he an asshole or not? How much did they miss him actually on the field? 
I don't think they missed him tremendously from one of the simple perspectives of if he was out there right now, uh, you know, the thing that makes Deshaun special is his ability to be vertical. And what did we just talk about? Mark Sanchez is not throwing the ball down the field. And he's had guys open, and he just he doesn't pull the trigger. And when he does, he's off target. If Nick Foles had been there the whole time, maybe that would maybe you know not having Deshaun would have been a more, you know, there would have been a more of an effect. But I think with having Sanchez start almost half the season, uh, I don't I think that negates Deshaun's deep speed, and I think the Deshaun's ability to be the workhorse receiver, you know, because he caught eighty two passes last year. Uh, I don't have Macklin's numbers memorized, but I think Macklin is going to surpass that total. Macklin's going to have more yards, and Macklin has been fine as sort of the workhorse wide receiver. Uh, so, you know, now if you say, well, hey, listen, what about Macklin plus Deshaun? How do you do that? I, I don't know. I don't know how that I don't know how that plays out because, well, I just don't know. We, we just haven't seen that in a Chip Kelly offense, so I don't know what that would have been like. If you just go from a simplistic theory of, is Deshaun better than Riley Cooper? No question about it. No question about it. How that would have affected the offense, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, do you do you think Deshaun not being here was significant to the 2014 Eagles? I do kind of take that simplistic view of, you know, Riley Cooper versus Deshaun Jackson. I I, I absolutely do think the offense is far more explosive, clearly. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any debate that the offense would be far, far more explosive with Deshaun Jackson in it as opposed to Riley Cooper. I think Riley Cooper was, I think maybe uh, calling him borderline useless is maybe taking it a little bit far, but he didn't, he didn't do anything. He really and until until the Redskins game last week. What do you have? One touchdown catch. Right. And, he had, and he had and he had a lot of huge missed opportunities in other games. I mean, he had a bad drop in the end zone against the Colts. He had a drop in the end zone against the 49ers in a game that if right. he makes that catch, they they probably win that game. And for me, I, I really just think it is that simple. I think the point that you make that, you know, Mark Sanchez might not have been able to get the ball down to, you know, down the field to him anyway uh, is, is valid. But, um, you know, with Foles in there, I think he's certainly a, a, a weapon that, that uh, you know would have made more plays earlier in the season, and I think also he, you know, by taking the top off the defense, I think he maybe opens up, you know, he opens up more for the other options in in the both in the passing game and the run game. Um, you know, the, the run game. Is that, the, the, the problem with that is Chip <laughs> Kelly talks about how they're playing safeties really deep, even against Macklin. Mm-hmm. So Chip, Chip Kelly would would tell you that. Whether it's Deshaun or Macklin out there, they're playing the safety way back. And that's one of the reasons that the deep ball's not happening as much this year. So Kelly's telling you it doesn't matter who's out there, the the, the defense is scared of them. They're keeping somebody way back so that the defense keeps everything in front of them. And that's one of the reasons that they're not getting as many downfield plays is because people are forcing the Eagles to play small ball and march it possession by possession, play by play, and not get on the explosive plays. Well, one thing you could also point to in that regard is, you know, Riley Cooper's yards after the catch this season is horrendous. It's like oh, it three is. point something. Yeah. So uh, even if I mean I, I'm not necessarily right. sold that, and, and that, that, again, that Deshaun that's Jackson. Deshaun... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sold that Deshaun Jackson is is you know one trick pony. 
you know, I think he can he, he can certainly run other routes, and and once he gets the ball in his hands, he can be a dynamic weapon. So, you know, you pair him with Macklin, and if teams want to park that safety twenty yards off the line of scrimmage, then he can still hurt you underneath and make big plays after he has the ball in his hands. Um, you know, I know that you and I both have been frustrated by him sort of going down and not making players tackle him if if he knew he was you know if, if there's a defender in the area. Uh, but it, it was certainly he's a far, far, far better threat with the ball in his hands than, than you know, certainly Riley Cooper. Well, and, and again, here, here's what I'm saying. I mean, if you, uh, is, there's no question that Deshaun is an outstanding talent and would have made some plays that Riley didn't. Nobody would dispute that. I guess the question is, would it have made significant impact? And that's where I think the word significant is crucial because – the, you know, look back at how many total catches there were last year by wide receivers. Look at them this year, and a lot of those catches are going to Jordan Matthews. And Jordan Matthews has made some plays. You know, essentially, I wrote about this the other day, it's almost like Jeremy Macklin is the Deshaun Jackson of 2013, Jordan Matthews is the Riley Cooper of 2013, and Riley Cooper is the Jason Avant of 2013. That's almost the way that it's gone in terms of, like, catches and touchdowns and production. So if you, you know, Deshaun, there's, there's only so many passes to go. So I don't know that him out there would have made a significant upgrade. An upgrade, yes. Nobody would dispute that he's a better player than Riley Cooper. But I think the presence of Jordan Matthews has to be factored in. And, you know, I think that, again, the way that teams, if teams were playing the run aggressively and, and, and crowding the line of scrimmage, that I would say that you know the presence of Deshaun, his speed out there might open things up. But if you listen to Chip, he'll tell you that you know they're keep that one safety way deep to keep things under him or in front of him. So again, I think that does negate it just a little bit. So uh, there's no question that this offense would have been better with Deshaun. Would it have been significantly better? And that's where I don't think it would have been significantly better. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really okay. do think it would be significantly better, and I, like I think the Jordan Matthews point is is, is valid. But <clears throat> any catch that the you know that Jordan Matthews has, you, you subtract whatever Jason Avant had last. I think what do you have? Th- th- like forty catches roughly last year. Jason Avant and Matthews 36, has thirty six or thirty seven. Okay, and then Matthews has what like fifty two, fifty three. So we're talking, was, of, we're talking about we're talking about of basically a catch a game. No, well, my, my, again, my point was that Jeremy Macklin has become Desh- what Deshaun was last year. Jordan Matthews has become what Riley Cooper was last year, and Cooper has become what Avant was last year in terms of production. So, right, Cooper- yeah, yes. However, you didn't even need to have that. That you didn't have to have that cascade go down. You could just basically have Deshaun be what he was last year. Have oh, but Macklin. There, there's, there's no, <laughs> Macklin there's, be- there, there's no way if you add Deshaun to this offense. That he would have eighty catches for for twelve hundred yards that that would not happen. I mean, th- th- because they would have to choose who they're throwing the ball to. Are you feeding the ball to Deshaun or Macklin? You can't. There's only so many pass plays th- that are there. You know, you can't, everybody can't have eighty and fifty catches. There's got to be the catches have to come from somebody. There's only so many passes to be thrown in a game. So to sh- you know, if, if maybe Macklin's numbers come down, then Deshaun's numbers. You know, in other words, those two players are gonna. Combined to catch a certain total number of passes. All right, here. And, and go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. I was just say. I mean, it's it, it's not like you can say pull Riley out and add in Deshaun's eighty for a thousand. I don't think it's as automatic as that. I think you you know you can if he's catching eighty passes, then maybe Macklin's only catching sixty. 
Well, I think it's what you do with those catches when you get them. And it, let me let me just I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw you some trivia here. In the 15 games that Riley Cooper has played this year, how many games did he have uh, an average yards per catch of over 10 yards? Oh, it's not it's not going to be a good total. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Five, five out of fifteen in, yeah. in ten in ten games, his yards per catch were under ten. So yeah. there's no way, no way in hell that's ever going to happen with Deshaun Jackson. No, I, and and I wouldn't say it was, but again, it just if you start feeding the ball to Deshaun, you're taking it away from more uh, Matthews and Macklin. So that's where again we're just we're basically arguing about the word significant. You know, in, in here, I'll, I'll explain it. In terms of talent on the field and what opposing defenses fear, there's no question that's a significant upgrade because defenses don't fear Riley Cooper at all. They would see Deshaun, and they would be worried about him. But as we saw in the New Orleans playoff game, he was taken completely out of the game until Keenan Lewis got injured. You know, Deshaun disappeared more than people think during the 2013 season. This guy, he wasn't catching 10 passes for 150 yards every game. You know, things have to go right for, for him and at some time. So I, ju- I just, I think that there would have, he would have been an upgrade, but I don't think this offense would have been averaging 40 points a game and 500 yards a game with Deshaun. I, I just, I don't, I think that it would have been better, but I don't think it would have been significantly better. So you think they would have averaged 50 and 600 then? Thank you for for that. Exactly. You you read my mind, Kemsky. You read my mind. All right. So the last thing, which again, it, it's not really anything that was in their control, really. But um, you know, O line continuity was obviously a huge problem this year, and that started, you know, during training camp when Lane Johnson was suspended, and they were going to be missing him for the first four weeks. Alan Barbary got hurt after, like, what? He, he was in the game for what? three seconds before he got hurt for the season. It was short. It was short. Yeah. (laughs) And then they lose Mathis and they lose Kelsey and they lose Peters for a few plays here and there. And they, they eventually lose Harriman's for the entire season. And they're just shuffling guys in and out of that offensive line nonstop the entire season. And that's a big deal. I mean, I think O-line continuity is one of those just really underrated things in the NFL and having your O-line banged up the, the way that the Eagles did, I think that really just destroyed their running game, especially early in the season, and really carried through th- for the entirety of the season because those guys really didn't play with each other for for the entire season, and that hurts. So I don't know that – I mean, there there was the, the debate all season over, you know, whether LaShawn McCoy was the, was the same guy or not. My personal feeling is that he – you know, there was there's a lot of things stacked up against LaShawn McCoy this season, but uh, just in terms of you know, dealing with the offensive line and and uh, it just wasn't the same offense that it was last year. Personally, I don't think he did look the same this year as he did last year. I thought just he looked like a much more um, athletic, not much more, but I thought he looked like a, a more athletic, dynamic player last year than he did this year. And maybe that's because there was more openings and he had, you know, the ability to, to juke the way he does. We didn't really see as much of that this year as we, as we did last year. Um, so I guess, first of all, what are, what are your feelings on, you know, do you think Deshaun is, or Deshaun, <laughs> Deshaun, do you think LaShawn is, is still sort of the same player that he was last year? And uh, just really your, your feelings on the offensive line in general. There's no question that the offensive line injuries had a major impact on this season. You've got to have stability up front. You do because there's so many plays when the defense runs a stunt and 
the two guys have to, they can't even communicate. They just have to know what the other guy's going to do. You just have to trust that the guy beside you is seeing the exact same thing, and you have to, to execute those blocks that way. On a run play, you have to execute, you know, when you double team a player, and then the one player releases to go after a linebacker, you have to know that guy's got control of that lineman. And that kind of stuff, you can't practice it. You can't work on it in film sessions. It has to happen on the field. That's where you really build that chemistry. And it was never there this year. There were some good games. There, there definitely were. Uh, but the kind of chemistry that they had in 2013 was never there. And i got to tell you, Brent Selleck, who has become a, a terrific blocker, uh, it's funny, when he first started, he was just like Zach Ertz, couldn't block. And over the years, he's become a terrific blocker. I thought the offensive line continuity somehow affected him because his blocking was very erratic. There were some games this year when he was outstanding. I mean, that Houston game, he, he did a terrific job. And then there was other games when he would see him missing blocks. And yeah, there was a, a play in the Dallas game when he's got a linebacker right there in front of him, and if he just blocks the guy. Shady's run goes from four yards to 24 yards, and he just misses the guy. And that's just a play that Brent Selleck normally, when he's going good, doesn't miss that block. And that, that's a 24-yard run. That's one of our explosive plays. And this year, those those blocks, you know, and it's not like a lack of effort. I mean, God, Brent Selleck plays as hard as any eagle. There's no question about that. But it's just like something was off. It was like an engine that misfired. And so the, the, the blocking, they weren't getting the push that they did previously. And I think some of the downfield blocking was a little bit more erratic. And, again, these guys are terrific athletes. They can get up the second level. But those plays where you just needed to get that one guy for half a second to give Shady that lane. Think about the Detroit game and how good the blocking of that Detroit right. game was, the snowball. Yep. yep. And, all you know, boom, big play, big play, big play. And this year you didn't see anything that came close to that. And, oh, and you know, I'll give you another one: the Packer game where they didn't really open up huge holes, but on that final drive where they they killed nine minutes o'clock, that was just one of the most impressive, methodical, you know, game killing drives that I that I've ever seen. No way was, anything close to that is happening this season with the way the offensive line was banged up. Exactly, the, and it's funny because you had that one. There was the drive, I believe, it was against Houston Texans when they came out in the third quarter. And they handed the ball to Shady twice and Chris Polk twice and had a touchdown. Uh, touchdown right, drive. yeah, right. They, they, all had, they all had long runs. So it was just but four it, but straight it, long runs. Four four runs for a total of 70 yards. And there were some 20-yard yep. runs, some 30-yard runs, 15-yard runs. But you're right. You know, things like that were an anomaly as opposed to last year where you would see them. They would take charge of a game, maybe sometimes in the first quarter, sometimes in the fourth quarter. This year they couldn't sustain anything like that. They, would, they got that here, they got that there. They couldn't sustain it. And, you know, so, yeah, it was just a frustrating year. And, and, and Shady, I think Shady is still an outstanding player. It did look like something was just a little bit off of him. Maybe he was going for big plays too much. Maybe he was being too conservative. And I, I don't know what it was, but something looked a little bit off. But the guy's still one of the top two or three running backs in the NFL. And he's still somebody you want to feed the ball to on a regular basis. I was very frustrated that on the final drive that against Washington, they didn't hand it to him once on just a little draw play. You know, I mean, do you really want the ball in Mark Sanchez's hands every snap on a game-winning drive? Do you not want to maybe try Shady McCoy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's – it's, it's, I mean, you look at last year and, and, and the way the run – basically just dominated teams. 
I mean, what was their yards per carry last year? Five point one or something like that. LaShawn was at five point one. And here, like, here's the other thing: Nick Foles last year had, uh, I think, the numbers were fifty-seven carries for two hundred twenty-one yards. You know, Michael Vick ran for two or three hundred yards. But again, freaking Nick Foles two twenty. This year, the Eagle quarterbacks I'm, are not going to run for two hundred twenty yards. <laughs> so yeah, this you know, year I, I, they I, were. Four point one this year, and then in right. two thousand thirteen, they were. Be nice if NFL dot com didn't take an hour to update here. Well, I, I know, I know this. Last, <laughs> that's, that's one of my pet peeves, by the way, is when like you're on the phone with like a customer service company, and they're like, right. "I'm sorry, my computer's slow." <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Last year, Lashawn. Last year, Lashawn had forty seven carries of ten yards or more. And this year he is like half of that or less. And so, you know, the, the three, four, five-yard runs are happening. Sometimes even seven- and eight-yard runs. But the first downs aren't coming as easily. The 10-yard, 12-yard runs, let alone the 15, 20, 25. So, yeah, something – I think a lot of that was the blocking, but maybe a little bit, just a little bit was LaShawn. And, again, could be that he was just trying to do something a little differently – I don't think it was, a, uh, you know, he was distracted or anything like that. It's just a weird year. And those games when he was totally shut down by, like, San Francisco, things like that, right. I mean, that that was about blocking. Let's be honest. I mean, LaShawn is a much better player than that. So I got it here. So last year it was 5.1. This year they, you know, it was 5.1 last year as opposed to 4.1 yards per carry this year. This year they had 100 first downs on the ground. Last year, 133. That's a big difference. They had 10 runs of 10 plus. I'm sorry, 10 runs of uh, 20 plus yards uh, this year. They had 19 last year. They had two runs of 40 plus yards this year. Five last year. So I mean, those those are pretty significant differences in the run game. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's something that uh, you know, the coaching staff once the season is over, they'll go back and they'll evaluate what do they need to do differently schematically. What is just blocking. Uh, what changes do they need to make? Chip Kelly's outstanding at making adjustments. There have been some issues this year. He'll figure it out, and uh, he'll make the necessary changes. And you know, hopefully, the run game will be back to being an elite running game next year. But uh, still, it's, it's a still a good running game. It's just last year we saw something that was dominant, and it has not been a dominant run game this year. Not at all. All right. Well, we are going to wrap it up here. We are a little over time, I think. Um, but again, if you guys have any uh, podcast name suggestions. We'd love to hear them again. You can tweet at Tommy. Or, uh, it's to- it's uh, Lawler NFL. I am Jimmy Kemsky, of course, at Jimmy Kemsky. Um, for Tommy, this is Jimmy. See you next week. Take care. You've been listening to Inside the Eagles right here on LibertyBroadcast.co. 